What's up, everybody? This is Eric from Mixtapes, and yet again, we got another 30th anniversary of the year 1991, which I think is one of the best years for music. And I got a good friend of mine on who owns his own recording studio, and uh, he's a huge fan of this album we're going to talk about. So I'm really excited to have my friend on, Mr. Tony Scott Asworth. How are you today, sir? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm happy to be here. And we're talking about Soundgarden's Bad Motor Finger, which came out 30 years ago, which is insane. And I'm mm-hmm. a little older than you. So how old were yeah. you when this record came out? So I actually made a note of this. It's really funny. It, like I was eight when this record came out. So I wasn't exactly like outside the Camelot music at the Charleston Town Center Mall waiting for the gate to go up to like <laughs> run in and buy it. You know, like 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 most people my age, you know, between the 35 and 40-ish range, like I got into Soundgarden because of Black Hole Sun and then, you know, became a fan and backtracked from that. So, okay. and and as I got older, like I'll admit like most of my teens was super unknown just on a loop, on a loop, on a loop, but as I got older, I always gravitate back to Bad Motorfinger. I listen to it like once a week. You know, this is going to be a great conversation cuz I, I it's going to be interesting on what we talk about with this record because I absolutely love this record. And I remember when I heard this record first, um, I, I believe I was 16 and I heard it. Um, I think I saw the outshine video and I remember me and my friends were bugging out. We were just like, Holy shit. It's like the best parts of Sabbath and Zeppelin together. This is what yeah. we were thinking. We're like, Oh my God. But then like you get into the record and you realize it's way more than that and it's way ahead of its time in my opinion and they were like that first i don't know they're you know them and allison chains are hard to call grunge and put in that box because i think i think they were so diverse songwriting wise when it came to you know odd time signatures open tunings that you, you i just i don't know man i can't put them in that box per se even though you know, Seattle was a very, very magical place, dude, from like 87, 88 to like 93, 94. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of great stuff coming out of there. So um, that's when I got kind of keyed into this record. And I can tell you right now, man, it was not a big record at first for me and my buddies back then. And uh, yes, uh, Super Unknown was the, 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 the record that kicked the door down for sure. Um, but this record's amazing. So we're going to talk about Bad Motor Finger today. Um, there's 12 songs on this record. What we'll do is we'll go over the 12 songs just, you know, so everybody knows what's on the record. If you don't, you know, if you're listening to this and maybe you have Spotify in front of you and or if you don't, here we'll help you out real quick. So it starts off with Rusty Cage, then Outshine, Slaved and Bulldozers, Jesus Christ Pose, Face Pollution, Somewhere, Searching With My Good Eye Clothes, Room A Thousand Years Wide, Mind Riot, Drawing Flies, Holy Water, New Damage. Um, so your first impressions, you, so you heard this record, so you heard super unknown first, which I think is a fan just an absolute great record. And mm-hmm. the thing that's going to trip you out that you're going to laugh about is I kind of did the opposite with you. And over time I started to appreciate super unknown more than I did bad motor finger. Oh, that's, that's wild. That's wild. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, cause it's, cause, cause for me, super unknown, there's like, I mean, yeah, like off of the, off of bad motor finger, like because of Chris Cornell and what Soundgarden became and, you know, just the presence of them as a pop entity later, you know, for me, super unknown was, it's like, you know, any Aerosmith song that you've heard a thousand fucking times. Like if I hear black hole sun one more time, like I, I won't care except for the Brandy. Did you see the Brandy Carlisle live thing that she did with, with the guys? I, Soundgarden? I did not. I did not, it's but I heard about it. I heard it's really, really cool. Yeah. yeah. Really cool. I, I didn't. I, um, I, uh, got who covered it that blew my mind. Um, Nor Jones covered it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, God, that's cool. Because I'll tell you right now, I did not like that song when it came out. I like the video. That's what got me. It was like, I mean, dude, I was probably early teens when that video hit. So it's right. like, oh, I'm in my fucking bedroom watching it, like being like, my mom would hate this or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And the funny thing about that is, like, later on, like, you know, I got probably 10 years ago or so, I was back west visiting, and we were, like, driving around, and mom was like, here, just throw whatever you want on the radio or whatever. So I just picked the rock station, and Spoon Man came on. And she's singing along. I was like, you like fucking Soundgarden? 
She was like, yeah, it's just catchy, man. Like <laughs> that's you know what, man? It's so weird like, how is, that works. This is one of those bands that like, dude, she like made me throw away like a Marilyn Manson CD I had when I was like 14. And so I was just like, oh, I gotta hide all this shit, you know, because it's like with names like Jesus Christ Bose. You know, it's like my mom's super religious and stuff. So I was like, well, you know, I'll keep this away. But come now, find out like in my fucking early 30s. It's like, no, my mom listens to Soundgarden. That's, that's, ama- that's amazing, dude. That's yeah. so I know my mom's the same way. She listens to a bunch of stuff that she like forbid me to listen to. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, yeah. <laughs> like how is this happening? Like, yeah. you know, but I do think also the other thing is, is as time goes on, things become more extreme and things mm-hmm. that were extreme aren't really extreme sounding as much exactly exactly and that's dude the intricacies of this record there's so much hidden shit that you don't realize is going on on this record like over the past few years you know like i've been jumping into recording and you know producing and stuff and like i noticed a lot of things over the past year or so going back like i said i listen to this once a week i, I open the restaurant and it's i'm one of those nerds that like if i don't like to throw a playlist on and press shuffle like i want to listen to records all the way through and yep my coworkers fucking hate it but anyway <laughs> um um i've listened to this a ton of times and it's like oh you can pick out little things like like just for instance like i kind of feel like face pollution is like a leftover song from louder than love you know like it was like if you really listen to it and then you put it in rotation with louder than love it fits on that record better and I if you know and if you know, like, you've been in bands and stuff and you've worked with producers and, like, if a producer's like, yo, man, I don't think that one makes a cut to be dickheads, you're going to bring that song back to the next record to, like, be like, fuck you, dude, you're going to record this because we put a lot of time into it. And so it's like, it kind of, like, I don't know, like, I think this record's a really, really big transitional record for them. Totally agree. Because it's like, you get pieces of where they had been and where they were going. And then yep. there's shit on this record that only exists on that record, like riffs, like room, room a thousand years wide, heavy, yeah, you know, like new, new damage, like they never did shit like that after, you know, yep. like, or like uh, mine riots, another great example of something that could have mm-hmm. been on the super unknown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so you, you can kind of hear where they're going. See, for me, the interesting thing about Super Unknown was when that record came out in 94 and I got to see them on that tour, which is really cool. And he played Mind Ride basically by himself, which was the coolest I've, thing I've, I've, I've ever seen. I've seen videos of that. And it's, oh, dude, God, it was amazing. So cool. It was so amazing. Um, but what, I, what killed me about that record, and I was really into metal at that, at that time in my life, is I felt like Super Unknown wasn't heavy enough guitar tone-wise. And I think oh. that was the big difference between this record and that record because they're they're both in depth. But let's not get into that record because we're talking about this record, right? I, I will exactly. do I will do that. Sorry. Um, yeah. Is there a favorite song? And I and I did this with a, another friend of mine on the Black album, and I think we did it with No More Tears too. Uh, and it was really fun. Is there a song you remember being your favorite when you first heard it, and now do you have a favorite now today? Uh, yeah, actually, when I first heard it, um, like I'm gonna I'm gonna go backwards on this. When I first heard it, I could not fucking stand Jesus Christ pose. I couldn't. Wow, stand it. wow. I couldn't stand it. It was just too noisy and weird, you know. Like, and I was in my, you know, like when I really dug into Bad Motorfinger, I was probably you know 14, 15. So, so you're none. Yours not yours de- not developed yet per se. Yeah, exactly. My taste wasn't there, you know. Yeah. Like I had just gotten into like. Like, fuck, dude. I remember listening to Pantera for the first time at like 13. I'm like, this is chaos. I don't want to listen to this. Right. You know, like, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, but now Jesus Christ Bose is like it, it for a long time was my go to, like, like my go to fuck you significant other song. Like, mm-hmm. because a lot of people, like, if you really listen to that song and you watch that video too, don't watch that video if you have problems with epilepsy. Because no, definitely not. You were completely God. correct with that one. Jesus. I, I, I rewatched it. I rewatched it today and I was like, God, man, I have to like take my glasses off. To do yep. That. Yep. But it's, it's, you know, it's like, Hey man, you're standing there with your Jesus Christ pose acting like I need to be saved when you're the one being a bitch. You know, yep. yep. You're the one bitching about everything I'm doing. Like, let's, you know, it's, it's a conversation opener, you know, like really. And so, yeah, like I hated that song when I, when I first heard it and I love it now. And still to this day, the first song I fucking loved, the fucking opening riff for Room a Thousand Years Wide hit me like a ton of bricks. Nice. To this day, to this day that's my favorite song off this record. Nice. Like, and even like 
people will be like, well, let's get the weird saxophone thing at the end. I'm like, yeah, but that, dude, it was fucking 1991. Like, who's doing that back then? Yeah. And, <laughs> and if you, and if you look at shit right now, like, look at how many people got so stoked and lost their shit when Rivers and Neil put a saxophone solo in one of their songs or like bands like Cyborg Octopus, like having saxophone. Like, everybody's like, oh my God, that's so fucking cool. And it's like, yeah go back 30 years man yeah exactly yeah everything's been done before like you know what i mean like you know in the last 20 30 years it's not like you know yeah. um I, for me it was outshined because it was the first song i heard mm -hmm. off the mm -hmm. record and i just i just thought that riff was so rad and i was huge i mean i still am they're like my favorite band i'm huge into sabbath and i just love mm -hmm. those those just really slow heavy riffs and that mm -hmm. and that to me was like yes um but looking at Looking at what I see right now, I think honestly, Rusty Cage is probably my favorite song starting off the record. Dude, I love the B tuning on the on the low E and then that just I mean, it's kind of funny because there wasn't a lot of people doing those breakdown. I don't even want to call it a breakdown. I want to show it more respect than that. But mm -hmm. there wasn't many people doing that stuff like domination by Pantera, you know, certain mm -hmm. like people doing those. But that just and then what ends up happening is he, they do that kind of breakdown part, even though I said I wasn't going to call it a breakdown. And then Cornell's just coming over the top of it, yeah. just killing it vocally. And it's just, to me, it's, uh, it's amazing. And I'll tell you right now, um, Johnny Cash does a great cover of that song. Yeah, he does. He <laughs> I'm does. sorry. He I, really does. I, I, I love, I'll tell you what. I'll love you that what, cover. That, that, that cover got me back in. Cause there was like a little period where I got into like, you know, like I, I moved away and then came back and all that stuff. And I didn't really have a chance to listen to music and stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm going to pull up this Johnny Cash covers, you know, thing and listen to it at work. And I was like, oh, my God, I haven't listened to fucking Soundgarden in so long. And it was like because of that song and like how that song starts off the, the, the on the on the record is, again, kind of like like it's kind of like um, what did I just say? Jesus Christ pose where it's got this weird like. Yep. chaotic moment to it and then it slows and you can catch it yeah but on the johnny cash he does it completely different where it's yep. like really somber and then it just drives into that like bob rock fucking metallica style fucking groove and it's, like, it's almost like he almost like, it's almost like he liked the song you know what yeah, i mean exactly. like you know what some people exactly. are for because here's the thing i'm gonna sh throw a plug out because you know in the podcasting world it's really like a community i know that sounds corny to say that but it really is and mm -hmm. I'm gonna throw a, I'm gonna throw a shout out to Broken Record podcast, um, and that's uh, Rick Rubin and uh, Malcolm Gladwell, um, and there's another guy that's on that. And Rubin talks about basically resurrecting um, Johnny Cash's career. Yeah, yeah. And if you listen to that episode, ladies and gentlemen, listen to it. Like, find that you know, there's a lot of stuff on that. That's there's great conversations, but he basically was doing like dinner shows in front of nobody in california when ruben yeah. got a hold of them and they were i'm not going to give it away really listen to it if you're a johnny cash fan it's a really great talk um but yeah speaking of, i mean the whole point of that was it really felt like johnny cash actually wanted to cover that song and i think that's a huge thing a lot of people cover songs now just to you know try to get out there you know what i mean and, and i always hate that i'd rather like cover something you want to cover cover something don't be like oh i'm going to cover this just to be tongue-in-cheek and oh, i'm so funny like Cover the yeah. song if you want to make it your own. You know, there you go, right? So, yeah. um, going back to this record, I really think, I mean, shit, the first four songs are unbelievably stacked and solid, like right off the bat. I mean, they just don't they don't fuck around. I mean, it's just like yeah. boom, 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 boom. But then there's a lot of great stuff later on in the record too. There's yeah, there's so yeah. much to this record. It's is there a song you don't care for on the record? No, not at all. I love everything that is on this record. Like, if if I had to get rid of one, just because it's just like there, yeah, it, I, like face pollution. Like, it's it's cool, but it's 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 louder than love air in my head. Like, I've made that decision. Like, I, I agree with you on that. I I wouldn't really get rid only, of anything. That's the only one. I mean, and maybe maybe drawing flies. It's just I feel like that could be something going way later because drawing flies is like. A, dark dark song yeah and like this one it's the the one because one thing i love about this record is is cornell purposely made the vocals and lyrics like open to interpretation 
Like he made it, he was like, I, I wanted to be more imagery based and like, mm-hmm. Hey, this is what I'm purposely saying. That's why there's a ton of songs on here that like are personal to me because I was able to open up and be like, Oh, he, you know, he maybe didn't know this in Seattle when he wrote this, but like eventually, you know, 20 years down the road, like Holy water means a lot to me because of a certain phrase in it, you know, like, <clears throat> And it's just, but, but drawing flies is like, no, this is dark. I, I feel like there was a lot of that, no pun intended, in the water in Seattle because mm-hmm. I really, as I get older, the lyrical content in a lot of that, that time period for me, you know, like a lot of Lane stuff and Jerry stuff on yeah. dirt, on dirt, you know, um, shout out because no one ever shouts this guy out but andrew wood from mother love bone yeah a lot of great lyrics on on the apple record um cobain's had some great lyrics Mm -hmm. and had some great lyrics i mean there's a lot of great stuff i mean there's you know mud honey there's so many different green river i mean there's so many tad there's so many great bands from that era but lyrically you know i mean cornell always brought the goods vocally but lyrically he really he really made you listen to the song more in depth. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was cool. And I think yeah. as the band changed, like I said, and they got less heavy and they became more, even more versatile than they were, you could always count on Cornell, A, singing really well, but also writing great stuff lyrically. And I think that's one of the things for me, you know, looking back on some of these other ones that we've done from 1991, this one holds up tremendous. It does. It does. I mean, it really, it doesn't, for me, it feels timeless. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying like a timeless classic, you know, from 1991, <laughs> but I'm saying like, it's, 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 it's one of those records like dirt for me, mm-hmm. like throw on dirt mm-hmm. right now. And dirt as is relevant today as it was in 1992. Well, well, and, and dirt does the same thing that this record does where like rusty cages here, them bones chaos. Like oh, there's man. no time signature. It's a riff that, I, I don't know how many, I mean, you're obviously a way better guitar player, you're a teacher and everything, but like, was anybody coming in and being like, hey, let me fucking teach me them bones? No, because you listen to it and you're like, I don't even want to play that because it's just weird, you know? Like, it, It's at seven and they, do, yeah. and they do a lot of seven on this record too, you mm-hmm. know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of those. New damage, I mean, dude. Here's a guy that doesn't get credit, man. Matt Cameron is such a badass drummer. See, what I love about this record is like, I think Matt Cameron opened up a ton on this record mm-hmm. for one simple fact. This has been Shepard's first record with him. And if you've been in bands before, like, you know, right now in the band that I'm in, we're going through like a, a bass player change and everything. And when you get a new member in, it's like, it's like, okay, it's time to revitalize. Like you get a breath of fresh air. Yeah. And I think Matt Cameron was like, Oh my God, I jammed with this guy, Ben. And it's like, this is the rhythm section now. And yeah. I think they played off of each other so well on this record. And you can really hear Matt Cameron from this record on just really open up his playing style. And he's one of those underrated guys, man. He's, oh, he's, been playing he's so with, good. He's been playing with Pearl Jam forever and he does so many side projects, but like he doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, we always talk about Danny Carey from tool. He's like, and I'm yeah. talking about new guys. I'm not talking about, you know, the old school, you know, mm-hmm. obvious ones. Right. Like, Cameron's a guy that doesn't get talked about as much as yeah. he should. He's an, yeah. a monster drummer, and I think a lot of his playing on this record really drives this record. And I think it's, oh, it's his little accents, like cymbal stuff and like tom work. It's just especially under like giant, big bellowing notes that Cornell's doing. Like, there's just so much cool shit. Like, like you know, like when you listen to music, you like you pick out songs, and but like you go even further and you get micro with it, and you're like, "There's this one piece of this one song that I listen to this song for, just to get to that part." And there's so many like drum sections on this yes. record that, that that like hold that for me, you know? Yes, yes. Like you know, you know, you're like 45 seconds into like Slaves and Bulldozer, and you're like, "This fucking fill that's coming up is gonna be so cool," you know? Like, yep, yep. Yeah. Ba- bass tones great on this record too. Oh Shepard plays really well. There's really no. St- I mean, Cornell's obviously the standout in this band, mm-hmm. but 
they really are like a band. You know what I mean? Like everybody yeah. pulls their own weight. Everybody adds something to this sound that makes them what they are. There's nothing. There's not a weak link in this band, even though guys aren't talked about as much. I mean, it's really Cornell is the guy that's talked about in Soundgarden, but every single person in this band really pulls their weight and really adds something to it. Um, I was reading some article the other day where they were they were trying to figure out who the best guitar player was in the Seattle scene. And it was really funny because it was like, you know, they had Cobain. And I'm like, you know, uh, even though Cobain wrote some pretty great riffs, right? And then they had Jerry... And then they had, you know, Kim Thale, right? And then they had, uh, I forget who the fourth guitar player was. Oh, it was, um, what? no, it was uh, McCready. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and it's so funny because I, I sat with myself and went, is it Thale? Is it Cantrell? Because McCready's great, but McCready, I mean, and I love Pearl Jam. I mean, I, mean, I love their first couple records, I should say, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know... Who's the better player? Who's I, I? I really couldn't pick one between the two, yeah. and that shows. I think you know the thing that I liked about Thale was he seemed to always play the right part at the right time. Yeah, yeah. You know and then I mean? e- even his chaotic stuff is like listenable. Yes, it like, makes sense. Like, it's not Kerry yeah. King. It's not Kerry King. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, yeah, exactly. Like God, I remember seeing those like Guitar World like tabs and then like when it came to the solos for slayer songs it was just like do whatever the fuck you want yeah pretty much like it's, it's just noise here you go like we can't even put it on the tab but think about Smash. think about black hole sun right like you know that your introduction basically to Soundgarden, right mm-hmm, think about mm-hmm. how ridiculously chaotic that solo sounds and that was like a top 20 hit yeah so there exactly. you go i mean that's that shows you as chaotic and crazy as it was it fit the song perfectly and i think that's that's something to be said because it doesn't a lot of times that doesn't happen and, and a solo can be so bad it ruins a song and it did yeah. not it did not ruin that song and i think that's a big testament to what he does and you know what cornell did not get enough credit being a a really good rhythm guitar player too i mean he's a great songwriter you know him living with andrew wood i think also like catapulted mm-hmm. his songwriting because they pushed each other a lot of people don't yeah. know that but when Andrew moved into to Cornell's place, they were always constantly writing on four tracks and showing each other stuff. And and Cornell had such a a deep respect for Andrew and how he wrote and vice versa. And I think when you have that friendly competition, I think it, it ups your game. And mm-hmm. and you can you mm-hmm. can hear it. I mean, there's not Soundgarden that I don't like per se, really. I mean, every record they put out, which I think was only four. Or no, there was more than that. Five, right? I think I think five. It, it's I, I liked every one. You know what I mean? And and I I I definitely am a bad motor finger guy. Up, you know what I mean? Which I'll get a lot of shit for because louder than love is you know a record that a lot of people dig. Um, but I go I go that way. So bad motor finger was like the gateway for me, and I just kind of went yeah. with it because I was sixteen, right? So yeah, I didn't go backwards. I ended up forward because then you had yeah, because you, you know, were there super known. Yeah, and then then you know the, was it down on the upside or I forget what that record was called, but the one after that in '96 that was another one that was cool. Then they break up, yeah, which was yeah. crazy because they really they broke up at at. at the kind of height, the height of, yeah. you know, which yeah. not a lot of people do. And, you know, that was interesting because they got back together and put out that one record. Um, I can't remember what it was King. Oh God. It was, Oh, I cannot remember. I'll, I'll pull it up real quick, yeah. you know, to sound so professional right now. Um, <laughs> um, I'm doing, King, I'm doing King animal, King animal. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and that's actually a really cool record too. And I think, you know, this is one of those bands that in my opinion, you have to be in the right mood to listen to. And if you're in the right mood, and I've been learning this a lot lately, where if I'm going to listen to something new, right, a new record, or I'm going to listen to something old I've never heard before, I have to be in that mood to go, I'm going to listen to this record today. Like, I'm in mm-hmm. the mood to listen. And I know in the past, I've, I haven't done that, you know, where I'm just like, oh, the new Rage of Mach- Get Some Machine albums coming out. Like, and that was the second one, right? And I hated it at first. Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't in that space and time place to listen to that record, right? So if if you get back into that space when you listen to Soundgarden, I think it's amazing what you'll pick up. They're a band that almost, like you said, you listen to this record pretty much once a week, right? Yeah. I yeah. guarantee you there's probably little things you hear each time yeah. that you're like, oh, shit, that was cool. I didn't recognize well, that or that was neat. Well, this this record has two words on it. 
for any heavy heavy music fan that, that you should pay attention to, it's got the words Terry and Date. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, Terry Date, like yep. I guarantee anything that you are a fan of the heavy from the nineties, he his name's all over the fucking place, you know, like White Zombies for like big seminal record, you know. Uh, amazing tones on that record. Yeah. For that time oh period. my God. Dude, everything Pan- Pantera. Pantera. Yeah. Deftones. Yep. Helmet. Yep. You know, the first couple Soundgarden things. I mean, shit, dude. Incubus. See, fucking, this is, this is you, the producer talking right now. Exactly. 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 And that, and that's the thing is like, that's, it's, 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 you know, when, and, and I'm not trying to be a dick, but like sometimes producers, like not everybody gets to be Rick Rubin, you know, like, sure. Like, 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 I feel like there should be some sort of documentary on Terry Date or some sort of, do- like, he shouldn't just be, like, a name that comes up in some Slipknot book or something, you know? Like, they're not, they're not talked, look, if you, and, and it's interesting because, and you know this, right? Nowadays, the big studio, all the equipment, all that stuff, all of the money from the labels isn't there anymore. So exactly. records, records are produced differently, right? But if you look at that time period, like, Terry Date... Bob Rock, yeah, because Bob Rock is a phenomenal producer. Max Norman, there's certain guys that like I wish that people would learn more about in terms of mm-hmm. like you know little hour documentaries on these people because, yeah. as you know, if you're a producer slash an engineer, right? If you're not just button pushing engineering, you're actually producing too. You have a big, big like hand in how a record turns out you know what i mean like does it go from a good record to a great record or a great record to an amazing record or does it go from a great record to a piece of shit record because you're not the right producer for the record and it could be different it doesn't you don't have to be and you it's it's hard to say this but it's like you know um the because he did the first deftones record right yep i hated that sound of that record see i i I despised it did not and he's done but here's the thing he's done every record since with them and there is some amazing shit and and maybe it's maybe it's more because carpenter started finding his tone and they started finding what they kind of wanted to sound like later if that makes sense you know um but yeah it's because like there's some there's some def i mean diamond eyes holy shit i mean what Mm -hmm. a great great sounding record but that that white zombie that second white and i can never pronounce any of their damn names of the records but that second record oh that the uh the more human than human you know yeah 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 that's the one i'm talking about that um god it's got like a fucking it's they're always astro creep 2000 songs of love destruction and other synthetic delusions of the electric head so there you go if you didn't know the full title of that now you do um the guitar tones on that record are ginormous for 1994. yeah or 95. Is your 94 yeah. 95? I can't remember, but that, that was 90, 95. They recorded most of it throughout 94, and I think it came out. They put singles out throughout 95, and it came out summer 95. It's, but if you look at it, there's two Deftones before that, and it's like, dude, how did you, like, what happened to get those tones? Like, like was Jay just a better player than Carpenter? Or just had a better, better sense, of, a better gear, better sense yeah. of, because yeah. you know how it is, man. Like, and, and not to burst anybody's bubble here, but a good 80% of your tones in your fingers. But what people don't realize about that is, is it's using the dynamics and things to get that tone. It's not just when people always say, Oh, fingers. Yes. Fingers. Yes. But it's also how you play the instrument, how you play the amp. Are you, are you comfortable on the instrument? Are you comfortable on the amp? And going back to this record, you can really tell they're very comfortable with their sound. Oh, and it is, there's, it's this amazing. record this record is like like i said it's the transitional record it's you can really hear where they came from and where they were going and then there's stuff on there like i said that just only exists in that time for them like you can tell with tones like on room room a thousand years wide and new damage it's like oh you know terry dates like fuck you bob ross listen to this shit motherfucker yeah yeah you know like because that's like you really pull that you put that in like headphones now and you listen yeah. to the remastered version and it's like holy fuck like what were you playing man like yeah insane. and like, then and then go back and then go back to the motley crew 94 record and and, mm-hmm. and bob rock goes hi mm-hmm. <laughs> i just i just went up to you because i'll tell you right yeah. now that's one of the best kick drum albums i've ever heard yeah. like yeah. that kick drum and those tones <sighs> I, on that record uh, I, I was I bl- looking I, I, go ahead I, I blame terry date for that fucking Click, 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 
fucking bass drum shit from that Pantera started. I, oh I no, Ter- no, it's, it's <laughs> it, that's Vinnie Paul. That's all Vinnie Paul, dude. I know, it was, it but it's like fifty but, cent pieces on his kick but, drum. But but Terry Date let it happen. <laughs> that is true, but Bob Rock let Saint Anger happen. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, because you know how it is, man. It's like you're a producer, right? But like the band should always have the final say, right? Yeah, you know well, what I mean. Also, well, also Terry Date is the reason we have fucking Limp Biscuit as big as they are. So, is it Terry Date or was that Ross Ro- Robinson? No, that was so Ross Robinson did the first record, and everybody was like, "Oh, these guys are all right." And then, like, like those big, big, big yeah, hits they had yeah. was Terry Date. I didn't know that. Don't, 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 I'm gonna cut you off this podcast if you continue yeah. with that Limp Biscuit, dude. dude. <laughs> It's wild. Yeah, so we can we can blame Terry Date for that too, but it's just like that name, those two words on the yeah. record from '88 to 2000. Like you should listen to those records, but just because like he's got his name on some of the biggest shit out there. You know, he's he's in the class of like Sylvia Massey and like you said, Bob Rock and yeah, you know, producers like that where it's like they're just con- like those those three right there that like gave us the '90s heavy sound yeah i completely i completely agree with you um the other thing you guys should do with this record and thank god for technology man you use technology the right way it's a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. if you go on youtube and you type in uh like jesus christ pose vocals only Mm -hmm. i don't know if you've listened to that That dude you realize how insanely insanely talented chris cornell was I'll say it right now. This record is his best vocal performance all the way through. Like it's there. I'm not, not going to disagree with you, man. I'm not going to disagree with you is, at all. There, there are just notes and runs and held words on this record. That's like you just. There's nobody else that could have done it. I feel you know the hardest thing for me with Soundgarden also, which is interesting, is to me Cornell started checking out later in yeah. his career. And uh, I hated Audio Slave. I couldn't stand Audio Slave. God, I yeah, rage, I didn't rage, I, rage against the garden. Well, I couldn't feel Cornell on those on those tunes. No, well, you know and, I mean? and and that's a, that's a I've talked, I've argued until my face was blue at lengths about this. What Audio Slave proved was two very very important things. One, Rage Against the Machine was completely 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 uninteresting without Zachary De La Roca. Great point. And Chris Cornell and anything else aside from Ben Shepard, Matt Cameron, and Kim Thell didn't give a fuck. Uh, disagree because Temple of Dog is one of my favorite records of all time. That's that's way different. Because to me, that's way it's, different. It's all it's about Andrew Wood. Right, yeah, right. It's a but, complete different entity. But I do agree with you after that because yeah. – yeah. His solo stuff, there's only one or two songs that grab me. Right. And I just yeah. I just felt like he and and you know, honestly, could talk about this for a second. You know, um, your mental health is super important. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things growing up as a dude, you know, especially as old as I am, it's rub a little dirt on it, stop being such a pussy, all that stuff, right? Yeah. Um walk it off. Yeah, you know what I mean? And like as you get older, you start to realize like Therapy is a good thing, man. And Mm -hmm. talking about things is a good thing. And understanding that you're not alone and there's other stuff going on, you know, and other people you can relate to because they're going through the same shit you're going through. Super important, man. And I think with Cornell, you know, and I'm probably going to get a lot of shit about this, but this is just my opinion. You know what I mean? It's nobody else's opinion. Um, I feel like he checked out a lot. And I feel like a lot of that was because of his depression and whatnot. And depression's a monster, man. And if you... If you can't get it under control, because it's always going to be there, if you can't get it under control, it really fucks with you, man. And I think, mm-hmm. I, I think Audio Slave was like that, where it was just it was very autopilot Cornell, a lot of his solo material. But and you have to remember, like we just talked about a second ago, Temple of the Dog, man, reach down. Mm-hmm. Come on, dude, fuck off. I mean, reach down. His vocals on reach down are unreal. And then you're going to tell me, you're going to look me in the eye and say, this new Audio Slave is amazing. Mm-hmm. No, dude, dude, you listen, didn't... listen to Rush C Cage, listen to Jesus Christ pose, mm-hmm. listen to, listen to searching with my good eye closed, listen to my no damage, you listen to these tunes, and you tell yeah. me that you're gonna tell me that Audio Slave is your jam, yeah, yeah. like I can't no, do it. I, yeah, I mean, like I've, like I said, I've argued about it a thousand fucking times. Like it, it, it made a point that I mean, they did what two records? Like I, who needed I, a second? I couldn't. Who needed a second one? 
dude i didn't need, i didn't need a first one yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not yeah. gonna lie i didn't when they when they like were saying they were putting that thing together instantly i was like why my like, you know what my first thought was immediately i looked up i was like is raging machine and soundgarden on the same label like is this what's oh yeah that's really smart to think that way right because you're yeah. like why would you, you like, know what the, I'm label, the label would be like no fuck you you got all of you guys are still under contract like you better figure it out you know uh there's a there's a david Lee roth podcast i listened to where this guy had this crazy <laughs> he had this crazy theory that ted templeman um <laughs> i already like where this is going <laughs> wanted wanted the break between the bands because hagar was on warner brothers and van halen was on warner brothers so van halen would still be on warner brothers and david lee roth would be on warner brothers right so it's like they knew the band was falling apart so having the band break up into two entities would still make a ton of money yep for warner brothers and i'm laughing because i'm like man that doesn't make any sense but as i'm i'm doing my walk <laughs> with my headphones and i'm listening more i'm going good lord this is a good conspiracy theory you know what i mean yeah. just like the whole you know rage against machine let's take a break let's throw chris cornell and audio slave but yeah, yeah. It, i'm sorry man there's you know, there's some, there's a couple Chris Cornell songs I like solo, but the Timberland stuff and all that, I just was like, what are we doing, yeah. dude? Like the only thing that I really liked that he did as like a solo thing is that 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 cover of um, oh covers he kills that uh that it's it's just like it it's on YouTube everywhere you can you can fucking easily find it him doing um the him doing. Song yeah nothing compares uh, to you nothing compares to you that amazing cello and all that stuff amazing dude like you can you can watch him in that video and be like that's that's chris cornell in pain like you know you can see yeah it, you can feel it, it you man know? you can feel like uh, and you didn't you didn't get that with audio slave you didn't get that with a lot of his other stuff. no you didn't you didn't i think that's what happens with you know like coming back to mental health and like depression and everything like one of the best ways to get it under control if you're an artist of any you know faction is you know like for us it's fire an amp up press yep. record get some shit out <clears throat> you know like that's what i'm doing right now i'm in, in the process of creating this thing that like you know i i had a ton of death happen in the past 10 years and like sat down this summer and like took it all in finally and i was like holy shit i never gave myself a chance to grieve yeah so it's like get that out but it's I was able to do that on my own time through what I love to do. Like Chris Cornell, you everything on this record is about trying to find some way to heal, you know, like like and that's you, a common theme with his records, man. That's a common theme. It's a common theme yeah. with with Temple the Dog. It's a common theme with Super Unknown. There's a and, lot of, you know. And I think the checking out is like, oh shit, this is job now you can't like, you I can't get, you can't stop right i mean it's like yeah. the label wants another record the label wants yeah. a tour the label like you can't push pause and go nah man we're gonna take some time off i'm not and like you're starting to see that happen now which i think is pretty cool like you know mm -hmm. uh mike Patton put the brakes yeah. on because here's the other yep. thing that people don't understand let's break this down real quick right um and this is for people that haven't played in a band okay if you played in a band you understand this and you're going to understand exactly what i'm telling you right now right when you're in a band and you want to put a, a a pause on something right okay and then let's just take you know we played together right okay so it's not as big of a deal right because okay you want to take a pause okay we can take a pause right but if you're famous right and you're in a signed band not only you have the pressure of your bandmates not making money you have the pressure of the road crew not making money you have a pressure of the merchandise and you have so much pressure on so many different levels of people not making money because of your decision to push pause and that to me is really difficult and like mike Patton doing what he did and some people can call him out and say he was a you know an asshole for doing that or a bitch or whatever you want to say i applaud him because he understood that I need to take this break because in the long run is is faith no more going to be great if he's having mental problems yeah. absolutely not dude and, well, and look that's hard how many times has james hetfield press pause went to rehab yeah you know, yeah and came back and it's like yeah a lot of us haven't really liked a lot of the metallica stuff that's come out but guess what millions of fucking people have 
And, and I know, think the reason that is is because he came out healthy every time. You know, and yeah. maybe, he started, maybe he started drinking again because he heard the shit that was coming out. But <laughs> that's like a whole other thing. Um, I mean, who knows, right? But but you, dude, make a, it's a great point, though, man. It's a great yeah, point. Like it, you got to be, you either got, and I forget who said this, but there's like a fine line between geni- genius and pain, like, and you can either use pain to heal through art, or you're a genius to find a way to you know create from your pain and make a ton of money, you know. And I think Bad Motorfinger is a probably one of the best examples of teetering that line between like pain and genius, you know, like, cause you yeah. can hear, you can hear a lot. Like there's some songs like somewhere like uh, searching with my good eye closed, you know, drawing flies. Like I mentioned earlier, those are all really, really dark tunes. And you can hear, you can almost hear like anybody that like can envision them in the studio. Like you can almost hear and mentally see like shit lifting off of his shoulders as he's singing those lyrics you know yeah and you know to go back to the mental health thing it's like and i think that's probably why he started checking out is because it's like oh hey like we need you to be sad all the time because that's what works for you and it's like well maybe i don't want to be man like yeah maybe maybe i want to you know that's the other thing too man if you do suffer from depression it's like you have good days, you have bad days. You have great mm-hmm. days, you have really bad days. You have mm-hmm. okay days. Like it's 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 and then you're put in a situation when you're in a band and it's like you've got, you know, four other people and you know, their girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever, right? Like then it gets to the point where it's like it becomes a bigger thing than just the three or four or five of you in a storage unit or a basement practicing, right? It it yeah. and, and then the longer a band goes on, it's like you know, I mean, how deep is Soundgarden into, you know, being Soundgarden by this time this record comes out? Probably what eight years, something like that. Yeah, Seven yeah. I mean, years? this was you know 91. what I mean. Ninety one, right? And then louder than love was at 88, 89? 88, like that. I believe. Yeah, and they had a record before, before that. Before that, yeah. So they, and then yeah. of course they're going to be a band before that. It's not like mm-hmm. it's not like your first record is when you started your band. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, right. A lot of people don't think that, you know, yeah. but. uh Man, if you're going to give this record a grade, and I probably know the answer, but if you're going to give this record a grade, what would you grade it? 99 out of 100. There's 1% in there that I just want more saxophone. No, I'm joking. It's 100%, it's 100% <laughs> for me. It's an A+. Plus. It, it's, it's an A+, plus it's for you. A+. Plus. Like it, there's nothing on this record that, like, my only peeve with this record, because, you know, I have, like, collective vinyl is it came out in a time it came out in a time when cds were a thing and the labels were like no dude we need three hours worth of fucking material to put on this shit it's like dude my god man like the fact that you can't find this on i mean you can find it on vinyl but it's like ridiculous it's like fucking 70 dollars because it's got to be two two you know discs yeah yeah like for it to even sound good i just that's my only peeve with it is it came out during a lot of these records man like blind by corrosion and conformity i pre-ordered that because corrosion and conformity is going back and re-releasing a bunch of their stuff on vinyl because vinyl's hot right now right and it was like for fucking a pre-order it was like 58 dollars. it's you know what man here's how i look at it 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 sucks but I'll pay that stuff because I know the bands are, and the bands are just getting screwed, dude. You know what I mean? So if there's any possible, it's like, you know, here's the thing. If you're listening to this podcast right now, buy, buy a Soundgarden t-shirt. I mean, buy, buy something that you know that the band gets more money for like go. I mean, you you can't really see them. Uh, There's rumors that they might, put the band together there, there's there's a little tweaky thing on twitter there's some rumbles about brandy carlisle doing something with them i've heard that too I, but, you know, I don't know how to feel about that it's it's hard man it's like well they matt cameron openly said no was it was it matt it was kim fail openly said i'll do something new and write new stuff with her but it yeah. won't be soundgarden like we you know it was fun doing the covers with her and it was, yeah it's fun popping up and doing some like really really secretive fun shit with her but, yeah but matt cameron you know matt cameron's just like dude, i'll play fucking anything he doesn't yeah he, he doesn't was, yeah he was like i love her i think she's great we're just gonna do this all the time now like <laughs> he's such a goofy motherfucker i love him so much man i love watching interviews with him 
Like, and I'm really bummed that he wasn't in that that documentary. Count me in. I don't know if you watched that. The drum. No, I didn't. I want. I want to, but then I started hearing the people that were left out, and I was like, eh, "Am I really yeah, gonna watch this yeah, right now?" Yeah, it's it's pretty. Like, they need to do another one with like other people. It's like that fucking Dave Grohl thing that he did, and he just left hip hop out. It's yeah, like, and then he got a huge thing. Like everybody was like, "What the fuck is wrong with you, man?" Don't like, don't. Oh, shit, I'm sorry. <laughs> don't start on Dave Grohl with me. I'll no I, no will ever listen to my podcast again if I get going on Dave Grohl. Yeah, I I I, I grew to love him. I, I'll be honest. I don't like Foo Fighters at all, but I would go see him live. We actually watched the the Hulu when they did. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Palooza. Like we yeah. watched. I sat and watched. It was really cool. Like he brought his daughter out. They did a fucking old like punk rock tune from some fucking band, LA band in the 80s that she loves, and they covered it on stage. Like he's it's weird. Like there's like it's like all this shit that's coming out about Chris Pratt right now. It's like, it's like, yeah, man, like he's too nice. There's just like something where it's like, what have you been hiding? Uh, well, and that that's the thing for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm old enough to remember when that band came out and they were shitting yeah. on so many styles of music. Yeah, and then now he's Mister Hey Rick Springfield. I love him, and I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, like you yeah. just that—that's my issue with him. But I'll tell you right now, I'm not gonna lie, and, and I'll say this every time: Everlong is one of the top 25 songs written in the last 25, 30 years. Yep. That, that song I, is brilliant. I'll go one better. Did you ever listen to Probot? I think the best thing that he ever did was Probot. After, yeah, was the uh, was that song you did with Jack Black, the Warlock song. I am the warlock. Wait, didn't we cover that? <laughs> yeah, in Dirt Community, we covered that. Yeah. <laughs> Who did cover it? Like that, like that. It was like towards the end of it, like where you had taken a break and then we were trying to put everything back together. Yep. And yeah, it was fun. But um, I think that's really cool, like that shit and everything. Like him as a musician, I get it. But like him as like a person, it's weird. It's, it's, it's just like, we, it's weird, man. He's, you know, it's like the other thing too. Here's the other one that makes me laugh and, and I'm going to get shit for this. Don't care. Um, when he brought up Kiss Guy, Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, dude. Yeah. Do you really think that wasn't staged? Oh no. I mean, give me a fucking break. Like he knew the cues. Come on. Yeah. Like well, that's well, so and obvious. Then, it was staged. And then, and then bringing up like that 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 uh, girl that's like blew up and then like, yeah yeah back and forth. like that was cool and I'm like Jesus man like like I want to like you so much but I know there's like I just I feel like it's just uh, too no. I feel like it's just too calculated man that's just my opinion. Yeah. But you know what? Like I said, I'm gonna get shit for that. But God, please give me shit. Listen to my stuff. Like you know. Well, I mean, it, please if, do. If, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like you look, you look at the Seattle scene from that era. Like if anybody came out of that and learned, like, okay, it's important to be a fucking salesman rather than a musician. Like maybe, maybe he's the best one that came out of that. You know, like. The thing about this, man, and I, I want to turn this around a second. I can't believe we're talking about fucking Dave Grohl from yeah, why the fuck Record. Are we even talk- yeah, because that's it's my Dave, fault. It's Dave, it's Dave Grohl. But look, here's the thing, man. The Foo Fighters are the biggest fucking band in the last 25, 30 years, if you really think yeah. about it, which is absolutely insane that he was in the biggest band in the early in, 90s. Yeah. And then he does it again. But it's like he's playing fucking stadiums with the Foo Fighters. It's insanity. Mm-hmm. It's just, but it just shows you like he's doing right stuff. Um, there could be a lot worse stuff. Enough yeah. of Dave Grohl, but but you know, it, it, this is called mixtapes, man. You know what I mean? And it's called mixtapes because I, I want to be able to talk about a lot of different stuff and not just talk about mm-hmm. one specific thing. Um, I love this record too. It's it's an A for me. It's a solid A. And the thing we were talking about earlier. Um, I, to me, it's weird because as I got older, I just kind of felt like Super Unknown was more diversified and it just seemed to grab me a little more than than this record. But when I mean grab me a little bit more, it's like on a scale of 1 to 100, it's like 98, 99 or 98 and a half, 98.7, right? Like it's, you know, I think of like, you know, there's so many great tunes on both these records and it just i don't know it's weird the older i got the more i started listening to to super unknown the more i just started really digging like songs like um fourth of july yeah like, oh that my God. weirdo guitar tune like like tone and just how mm-hmm. fucking low and heavy it was the day i tried to live when you really listen yeah. to that song holy christ um like suicide's amazing uh, yeah the i think I mean, aside, like I said earlier, I think 
best vocal performance that you can ever hear from start to finish is Bad Motorfinger. But I'm um, not going to disagree on that. I completely uh, agree with you. Uh, God, it's right in my. I, can't, I feel like such a bad. Hey, I mean, dude, Garden hey. fan. The follow me into the follow me. Yeah, into like that's that, on the. That, that oh my god, his voice on that is just goddamn nuts, dude. It's I, so good. I got to see Temple the Dog. Yeah, and, I remember that. I was it, I was trying to buy tickets to go with you guys when you went because I, I had I had to go. I got lucky. Dave Barry from Joy Bread. I will thank you forever for switching <laughs> days with me so I could pull that off. I got in my car. I drove to San Francisco. I had a beer on my buddy's boat. We got a slice from Escape from New York. Went to the show. Got back in my car. Drove home. Yeah, it was, but it was worth every minute of it. But um, it was like one of those life changing days. Dude, I'm I'm super. Mother Love Bone is so important to me musically. Another and, Terry Dade thing. It, yeah, and and basically, here's the crazy thing. You want to laugh? I basically watched Pearl Jam with Chris Cornell covering, like fronting the band. If you think about it, because it was both guitar players from Pearl Jam. Yep. It was Jeff on bass and mm-hmm. Cameron played drums. Drums, yeah. yeah. Because basically that was the band, like, that was almost that band for for Mother for uh, uh, Temple of the Dog. Yeah. And that show was great. The thing that was sad, though, is Cornell was a little behind on a lot of the vocals in terms of timing. And I just, I had a feeling, I was like, man, something ain't right. And then he died. Was like four, a couple of four, four months later, four, five months like later, that. Yeah. yeah, and it was, it was one of those things. I'm so glad I got to see. It was, it was, uh, it was where the old uh, Golden State Warriors used to play basketball, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember we got probably 15 rows from the stage, and it was just, uh, it was, it was an amazing experience. But the thing I wanted to to, to hit on, and you should watch the videos because they only did seven shows for that tour, but but they're they're all on YouTube from what I remember. He absolutely annihilated um achilles last stand by led zeppelin holy oh, wow. mother of god Oh, i have seen that yeah dude oh, it, it was like it was so refreshing to hear because i was like man he's really into doing these these tunes that, i mean they did they did so much cool shit that it was a great show i'm so glad i went and uh he's it's a shame he's not here anymore and yeah. um well, I mean, back to the mental health thing, like seeing him and those like, what was that sack show? Was it was it like first first leg of that tour? No, right? San, San Francisco. It, it San was, Francisco, not sack. There was only seven dates. It was it was he they did a couple on the East Coast and a couple on the West Coast. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you saw him kind of towards the end, you know, and like, you know, back to the mental health thing, like, you know, hey, guys out there, listen, if you're struggling with this stuff and you are you do have the chance to take pills and you're on this stuff like don't think that your life outside of being happy is more important than getting your pills right. Cause that's, you know, like there's a lot of people, I mean, fuck dude, how many times have we gotten drunk and you know, the next day you're like, Oh fuck, I'll take three aspirins. And then like in the afternoon, you're like, I'm still hungover. You'll take three more. And you're like, Oh yeah, that warning, that warning's for pussies, you know, like, like there's a lot of people that don't really understand, like, you know, and you can get like when you get to a certain point, you know, like if you're, you know, mixing and matching and you have ones that are like, you know, you take one a day and then there's something you need to take twice a day, like really stay on top of it. Don't get too busy to really pay attention to what you're putting in your body, you know, like absolute truth. And another thing I can echo from my health issues, um, I'm on some really strong drugs right now because of what had happened to me mm-hmm. with my ICU trip and all this other stuff and basically how my body just shut down on me. Not drug-wise. Um, I basically be- ended up becoming a diabetic and having high blood pressure and all this other crazy shit. So I ended up waking up in the ICU on a ventilator. And uh, so I'm on quite a bit of drugs. And I've turned my life around big time, um, like eating healthier, running, biking, walking, lost a bunch of weight, a bunch of great shit, right? But anyway, the moral of the story is the drugs that they had me on were are super like suicidal as like side effects. And there was a lot of times where I experienced stuff I never experienced in my entire life. And I know that some of the stuff he was on 
same situation. Same, yeah, yeah. And and you're on tour. You're not around your kids. You're there's you know you're not playing the venues that you're used to playing. And and it, it was weird. It was like the weirdest thing. Like to to describe to somebody, it's like you know when people say, oh, I just stayed in bed all day and I didn't do anything. And I must be like, how the fuck do people do that, right? Yeah. You know. And then the, the second month, I'm I'm out of the ICU. Like I remember like something minute happening, and it would just fucking destroy my whole day. Yeah, where like yeah. I, I mean it was insane i was averaging like 700 steps a day that was mm. it walking that was it dude it was like crazy and and i pulled through i had some great friends help me out i put a record out that really helped me out the writing of the record everything that that helped me out tremendously and i i wish he was around you know still because you know everybody misses him mm -hmm. and and yes the music's still here and that's wonderful but it would have been great if he was still here and i think that's the biggest yeah. thing about this record when i listen to chris and when i listen to lane you know when i listen to some of the, these amazing singers and musicians that are not around anymore especially the ones that you know it, they weren't taken in a plane crash or uh you know, like randy rose or or by cancer it was like they were taken by you know mental health issues or drug addiction yeah. stuff like that it just makes me sad that you know, maybe they could still be here and, and they're not. So when I do listen to the music, it does it does make it even different for me more than it was. And I think this record, I'm so glad it holds up the way it does because it's a great record to listen to still, in my opinion. And music is very powerful and it can be, it can be a great friend and an ally. It can be something that gets you a lot of tough times, which I think a lot of people have used music for and i think yeah. it's why i love creating i know it's probably why you love creating it too yep. Yep. and uh you know i'm gonna go back and listen to this record again after we've had this discussion because i've done that with every friggin' record and i and i truly stand by 1991 was one of the most eclectic great years for music with all the releases that came out i would love to have you on the show to talk about the blind record because Let's do it, man. i know how huge you are on that before <laughs> it's a great record riff man. ever written man it's a great the best record. riffs ever written on oh record. dude and reed plays his ass off on the drums yeah. i mean it's just yeah. mon it's a monster record uh, but there's a there's another person you know like yeah playing death, yes. death by their own demons you know yeah well, man. Another, I, like i think you know there was a eddie vetter interview about six seven months after cornell died and it was really like it was hard to watch and listen to because you could just tell that it was devastated yeah and he dude he said something that has stuck with me ever since and now like i you know like i'm, I'm a better friend to like all my friends like he said you know like you know it's it's not it was it he's like it's not hard to see he was like these guys spent 20 25 years laying only you know about 12 they sang about dying yeah don't be, don't be surprised they're gone yeah especially yeah. with all the stupid like uh the, the stupid uh conspiracy three theory nonsense about his death yeah. and like pedophile ring oh, and all this other shit Anthony like Bourdain, all that shit yeah no, dude look if you listen to any of the Soundgarden songs you can you can you can read between the lines i mean that's just well the same thing happened know. to prince man it, it, it's the mixing of the, it's being it's being trying to fix yourself so much to be there for your fans that you forget how important you are to the people that really truly. Yeah. Like we miss him. Absolutely. We miss him. Everybody misses him, but imagine his wife and kids dude. Oh man. I can't dude. Trust you know? me. I can't even, I can because with me almost dying a year and a half ago, yeah. the instant, the instant thing I thought about was like, Holy God, Declan. That's yeah. all I, I was like, man. And like, dude, I'll tell you, man, when I was out, out and stopped breathing and all that other shit, like i didn't know i was out for two days yeah i had no fucking clue i woke up with a tube in my mouth and it was just like and and that was a big mental thing for me because i was like holy shit dude like like th the last time i would have ever talked to my kids was that afternoon and i was so sick that day i'd spent like no time with them so yeah yeah it's a fucking shame dude it's 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 definitely a shame um but but I'm really glad you came on the show to talk about this record, and I'm glad we talked about other stuff too because it's important, I think, and it all ties into this record. And it all ties into important things that should be talked about. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed the show, and and if you did enjoy the show, um, definitely you know a five star review, uh, um, a review on Apple. 
um, podcast makes a huge difference. Following on social media, on, on my Twitter page and on um, Facebook and, and Instagram, those things help tremendously. Uh, we got some really good guests coming up in the future. We just had John Karabi, you know, and if you don't know that John That was Karabi, such a great episode, man. Thanks, such man. Such a great episode. That was such a fun listen. I'm glad you listened to it, man. John was a super cool dude, and there's more guests coming in the future. I don't want to name names yet until they're confirmed, confirmed, but um, the ball's starting to roll, and so I'm really excited about that. So before I do let you go, um, just give me like a quick plug about what's going on with you, man, so people that enjoy this this uh, this 30th anniversary on the Soundgarden record can learn more about you and what you got going on right now. Well, firstly, we still have records that eric stanglin created album entitled wake up we still have vinyls so you can hit those up on his band camp get one because it's an amazing like everything that he just talked about his journey process of you know healing like you could really see when eric got done with this record like you you could like when you walked out of here that last night it was like man he looks better like that yeah that was great yeah um as for me <clears throat> kenawa um, Bandcamp, Kenawa Bandcamp. Uh, spell it because people aren't going to be. Able oh to. yeah, yeah. Well, and also I'll, for all my West Virginia friends that, who say Canal out there, it's uh, <laughs> K A N A W H A. Um, that's me, Mark Ernest, Julian, uh, Austy, and uh, a, a new bass player that we have not not announced yet. Oh, and I, I don't get the. I'm not going to get the uh, the the first scoop. You're not going to get. You're not going to get the lowdown on it. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. We spent, we spent Thursday night going, we went through and I tabbed out a bunch of stuff for him. And, and is, then, it, is it somebody, it's somebody I know? Uh, maybe, maybe okay. some punk rock bands and stuff. He's, he's okay. a cool dude, a dad, just real solid guy. You know? Cool. Um, on top of that, I am working on my next solo record, which I kind of mentioned earlier. Like it's, you know, I went through this whole period of 10 probably 10 plus years where I lost just so many people, you know, Josh the bow and yeah. like aunts, uncles, both, both sets of grandparents on both sides. You know, my mom's the only living sibling left in her family aside from her brother, Andy and everything. So I like, I needed to sit down and get something out. So I've got a record coming out called morning light, but morning as in like grieving, yeah. that'll be out early 2022, but I am going to release a digital song probably hopefully by the end of this month called prologue which is going to be this 12 to 13 minute monster to get oh going together. for going for the radio huh <laughs> yeah going, yeah right <laughs> um 12 minute monster to get you guys ready for the storm that's coming up <laughs> light. um as for that you name know of the, just, name of the name of the studio name of the record oh level? yeah yeah we, i am recording here at the great divide den in reno nevada where eric has recorded the great big oh yeah great big choir record the 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 next last big choir record unfortunately and it's i can't wait for you to hear it it's phenomenal um that'll be out hopefully by the end of this month too and then what do we have that's it tone mark sounds mark and i's label that we put out your record um and i think that's it. and my wife i love my wife she's great she's upstairs right now she actually sent me good luck earlier like as i came down here and i was like that's awesome tell her thank I, you again for dealing with all the fucking oh boys. yeah 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 right <laughs> big ass shout out to my wife jennifer collier absolutely dude she's she's always upstairs on the couch when people are making yeah. noise and uh yeah she's she's awesome man she was always so supportive oh, yeah just real quick i asked her earlier because i was prepping for this and i was like hey because the whole point of the the where the name the Great Divide Den comes from is her dad, who passed away in 20, 2020, 2019. When did COVID hit? 20, 2020. 2020. Yeah, so it was yeah. right before COVID hit. And he passed away and it was really hard on her. But he was a big, big sound sound engineer for most of his life. He worked with the likes of like Maiden and Rush and you remember that picture I showed you. Oh yeah, killer. Yeah, like he ran ran sound for Rush and all that stuff. Well, he ran this you know head shop and record store called the great divide so i was like well it's got to be that so i asked her i was like hey man did wild bill have any crazy Soundgarden stories and she was like oh my god she was making a sandwich and she like slammed the fork down she was like jesus christ he loved Soundgarden so much she was like i think he would have like 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 i she, she was like if he wouldn't have gotten sick he would have died of heartbreak anyway because chris cornell died like he loved chris cornell so much and like she was like my favorite memory of him was he used to always vhs tape all the videos of mtv 
And then like on the weekends, they would just sit and make popcorn and whatever and just sit and watch. That's amazing. And she was like, dude, he would like, he'd be like a little giddy fucking schoolboy. He'd like get up off the edge of the, and sit on the edge of the edge of the chair and like get ready for the, you know, the outshine video or, you know, he was like fucking loved spoon man. You just, he would get up and dance and shit. And like, that's awesome, man. I was like, that's, yeah, I was like, so I had to shut up Bill a little bit on this. I yeah, man. That story. So, absolutely. Dude, thanks for having me, brother. This is great. Yeah, man. I just, I love doing what I'm doing, man. I'm glad that you came on. And, and I definitely want to get you and Mark on to talk about the label. I figure once, um, once the vague record comes out and then, uh, cause you should have another record or two coming out on the label, right? Cause I know you've been busy. Yes, yes. Uh, the vague record, the heterophobia record is kind of on halt right now. Okay. Um, they're doing some self-production at okay. their, at their practice space and stuff. Um, I let them borrow some equipment and everything. So it, it kind of panned out in time for that to, to come out. And we actually have, there's a, uh, there's an old, old, old metal vocalist that's going to come out of retirement that I'm working with on a project called Honest Without Telling that we're going to put out. And then the Young Governor Brown record. I would like to say that it's like a comeback, but we never fucking put anything out. But people in <laughs> Reno might remember Young Goodman Brown. Like that'll and, be coming and out. Maybe a dirt communion re-release, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I still want to get the 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 aged age twelve years, like a fine whiskey. Well, let's um, let's let's do that, man. I mean, life's so yeah. damn short and Exactly, and, exactly. Uh, and especially with what Dan just went through. Shout out to Dan who just, you know, got out of the hospital and everything and yeah, with that Here, nice 12, 12 and a half hour wait at, at good uh, over now. Poor guy. Fucking poor guy, Lord, dude. So, yeah. So, we got to get we gotta get Logan on a plane. and uh... mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But anyway, we'll, we'll save that. We got to get, for... get Logan in a mask and then on a plane. Ah, uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, we, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out something. But uh... Yeah, be on the lookout for that. Tone, it was great to have you on the show today, man. Thanks so much. I, I really appreciate you talking about this record with me. Like I said, absolutely, dude. One Thanks of my favorites, me. and I had to have it on the show. So, uh, so be safe, man. Um, keep keep doing will. what you're doing in the studio because it sounds great, dude. And everybody, look Thank you. look forward to Tone Mark Sounds and all the great releases they'll be doing in the next year. And and uh, it's nice to be on the label and have my record put out through those guys too. So. Be safe, man. Tell the wife much love for having you having you come on the show and absolutely, uh, man. And dealing with all the noise all the time too with yeah, the studio right. in the basement, right? So she's the real star of this studio. Let me tell you. Yeah, man. I I, I agree, dude. She's you know always a great mood. Always you know always great to everybody that comes by and and you know very opening to the house. You know what I mean? Which is yeah. amazing. So, all right, amigo. I will. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks again for coming. Yes, on sir. The show. Thanks for having me.